and welcome to the Female Pilot Club podcast. If you don't know us, we're a plucky band of lumpy jumpers helping female written sitcom scripts take off and fly against the almost insurmountable odds presented by the TV commissioning system. And if you do know us, we're those two women waiting at the bus stop with three bags for life and a pushchair trying to get to Sainsbury's in time for the yellow stickers. Do you do that, Emily? Do you get a yellow sticker? I've no idea what you're talking about. Oh, my God. I love a yellow sticker. Well, the people listening at home will know. I'm Wing Commander Kay Stodham. Co-piloting today is Emily Chase. Hello there. Also known as Emily Number One. Emily Number One. And in a weird quirk of fate, our guest today is writer, actor and stand-up Emily Lloyd Saney. Also known as Emily Number Two. Emily Number Two. I'm so sorry you're number two, but she did get here first about five years early, so... It's only for today. I know my place. (laughs) Never again. Now, Emily Number Two is a Midlands-born, London-based actor, writer, improviser, stand-up and one half of acclaimed sketch double act, Egg. If you've seen her on the telly, it might have been in BBC's Juice, Sky's Code 404, BBC's Motherland, Channel 4's Catastrophe or maybe on Rob Delaney's Stand Up Central. If you've seen her on stage recently, it was probably bad-mouthing her toddler as a stand-up comedian or with her friend Anna performing either as Egg or as part of their improvised comedy group, Battle Axe. Emily has written for Magic Like picture series Pip and Posey, BBC's Class Dismissed and most recently Juice with Moan Rizwan. Balancing all the jobs and evening gigs with motherhood, Emily can't quite decide if she's a superhero or a terrible parent. Either way, she's having a lovely time. (laughs) So Emily, we usually make our guests do what we call a parachute pitch of the show that they're going to talk about. But as you haven't come to talk about a particular show today, you're more here to talk about your career and your life. Um, we'd like to ask you, have you got any experiences of pitching that you'd like to share with us? What's your worst rejection? Oh my gosh. Do you know what? Um, it could be an audition. It doesn't have to be writing. No. Well, actually it's weird. Pitching in America is the, the weirdest sensation because you go to them with an idea that you're really, really passionate about and you pitch it and they, they, and this, I've talked to people, this is a common theme. So everybody kind of warned me before I went, but they're so into it and their eyes are wide and they're hungry for what you're saying. And as soon as you finish the pitch and they're like, amazing, what else? (laughs) Sorry, sorry, any other ideas? And you've got to have like this like secondary tertiary list of pitches. And of course, your passion is in the first one, but you've got to have this other one. And, And when it happened to me, I was like, oh, but I just gave you gold. We're not going to talk about, we're not going to talk about that at all. You want to know. More ideas. Okay. And then I just had to just make up some pictures. Just make I some I know up. that thing. That's happened to me in England, actually, where I've ended up pitching basically my life. Yeah. Because I couldn't think of anything else. And I just had to pitch the rather unusual sort of like love, weird love relationship I was in as, an, as a comedy idea. Oh, um, Because I couldn't think of anything else. Yeah. Like, go, go, go to home. Go oh, home. What, 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 what have we got? Oh, well, what about this? Pitching for kids' TV is hard as well because they're so many rules the yeah, red yeah. tape around writing for children is mad I, when I was writing for Pip and Posey there's so many things that they're not allowed to do because it's for kids but there's a screaming voice in my head saying yeah but she's a she's a mouse <laughs> she's, why can't she do this? she's a mouse that can cook in her own kitchen and she's about five but um yeah just that, that's a weird experience that must have been hard with the American pitching because also in the same breath of as realizing that they need you to then say three other ideas you're also mm-hmm. thinking 
Oh, so you've just been really insincere. Yes. I thought you were really into it. Yeah, I don't like to use the word because I'm sure there's lots of genuine people and I met some really lovely people, but there is, the process feels yeah. quite vapid. Yeah. Just And I learned never to apologise for yourself in America or apologise for your ideas. Or like, oh, well, I've had this, but it's not very good and I've not really thought about it because they take our, what we would call being humble, mm. they take as just complete self-doubt. Yeah. So you have to do what the British would call arrogance. Yes. <laughs> ah, you know. Yeah, I think you you have to cringe inside, don't you, as a Brit pitching in America, and then you know you're doing it right. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Well, when you read my um, whole CV out there in my intro, that's if I did that you're myself, cringing. I'd be like, I'm going full America. This is what I've achieved. Why are we like that? Why can't we just come out and say we're great? Why do we have to apologise for everything? I don't know. I don't get it. It's just the British way. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, we should stop it and be more American. Yes, we should. Yeah. So obviously you are a graduate from the Oxford School of Drama like me. Mm-hmm. Um, when you did graduate, was comedy and comedy writing something that you wanted to focus on or did you just fall into it? Um... I had done a stand-up comedy module at university, because I went to university before. Okay. I went to drama school at the end of uni because I did drama. I realized I still can't act. And when I went to Oxford, that kind of just really fell by the wayside. But when I moved to London, after I'd finished the course, acting work was harder to get than I'd imagined. And a friend of mine took me to a comedy competition and I got really drunk and thought, I could do this. And um, I asked them if I could have a go. And they said, no, you have to enter. And then they had a dropout, so they let me do it. And I did not remember that I'd done that night until my friend reminded me, like two days later, that's how drunk I was. But I made the long list of ones to watch <laughs> or ones to watch out for. And then I did it a year later and... Um, that's when comedy started for me. I was like, oh, okay, this is what I can do to get stay kind of visible in between acting jobs. And from the comedy, I found improv. From the improv, I found sketch. And from sketch, I found writing, mainly with Anna, my writing partner. Wow. So it was kind of an <laughs> accidental start from that first gig. It sounds like, isn't that the opening of Mrs. the marvellous Mrs. Maisel <laughs> that you've just described? Yeah, without the divorce. <laughs> uh, and less, uh, not good cooking. No good cooking either. And, um, didn't take a brisket. I didn't take a brisket. Um, but yeah, it was it was an accident, but I think it was always the way in. It's been my way into friendship groups. It's been my way into uh, what I loved doing. It's gorgeous making people laugh. It's yeah, great. Yeah. Um, and it's also just a great instant feedback on how you're doing. <laughs> when you do a drama, you don't know. Um, but with comedy, you get that instant, I don't know, validation or just feedback of how it's going so that was a bit addictive and you've obviously had loads of success with your comedy duo egg with anna yeah um you were returning guests on the harry hills club night yeah and you've had a bbc radio 4 special called scrambled eggs yeah which was comedy of the week it was just one week (laughs) just comedy of one week that's all it needs to be if you're listening it's comedy of this week Probably still available, go and listen. Brilliant. Um, so how did you guys first meet? Through improv. So a friend, a mutual friend got me to go and improvise with his group. 
and I felt really new to it and like I didn't know what I was doing. Improv is terrifying. Oh my gosh, so terrifying. And I had a really good time with this group of people who were called Battle Acts. And in there was Anna. Anna started the group. And we very rarely got to improvise together because we were the only girls in the group. But when we did, it was just joy. We really enjoyed doing it. And for years we were saying we should actually just make sketches. It's so fun when we're on stage together. But it took a long time to do that. And then we did. And now we do. And there we are. (laughs) (laughs) And you have been to Edinburgh with her as well, haven't you? Yeah, we've done three shows. We did um, one in 2016, one in 18. We were going to go in 2020, but then the world decided no. And then I had a child. And then we went this year um, after three years. How did you enjoy the festival? Because some people love it and some people, you know, find it a bit too much. Well, because we've done it so many times, either with Battle Axe or with plays that we're doing. And we've done Egg a few times. We did two weeks this time. We're like, right, that's what we can stomach uh, Mm. financially, mentally, emotionally for our friendship as well. And that suited us just fine. I would happily do two weeks anytime. And I was still absolutely exhausted at the end, uh, financially, mentally, <laughs> emotionally, at the end of that two weeks. And I thought, I really don't miss doing a month at all. It is a massive financial commitment these days, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, I'm. And well, and also being away with a little kid as well. Yeah. And my daughter didn't come. So it was, my first, it was the longest I'd been away from her. Oh which was the first week was joyous and the second week was like daggers. (laughs) She doesn't like video calls either. So it was a real, um, it was a real test. Yeah, that's tough. And and in the show, we have a video, and sorry, an audio recording of her crying, which just became more and more painful (laughs) as the week. I was like, whose idea? Oh, it was mine. Thought this would be a really good bit. And actually it's really horrible. So yeah, yeah. So I know another job, writing job you've had recently was with Marwan Rizwan for juice you can you tell us a bit more about that right thank you thank you <laughs> Mawan. yes Mawan and I've been friends for a long time he'd had a stand-up show called juice mm-hmm. and there was a lot of interest in juice when he finished at Edinburgh he did it at Edinburgh and he finally made it into a beautiful series and asked me to be in the writer's room with him and I got to co-wrote an episode co-wrote co-write an episode with him it's episode four if no one's watched it yet. So that was just a beautiful thing. Quite weird stepping into someone else's brain. It's a very surreal show. And yeah, I was the, gonna say I was reading about it. It was very it's very like kind of weird and quirky, isn't it? And it's weird and quirky, but when you kind of get to grips with all the transitions and scene changes, it just becomes very natural. You kind of go, Oh, okay, it's just a physical the physical world moves to reflect how he's feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's just the rule. Um, but he's got an extraordinary family who also appear as characters in the show. Yeah, because it's actually his his mum, his yeah, real life mum. Who is playing brother. his mum and his brother is playing his brother. Yeah. And his friend at work is actually based on not me, which I'm really hurt about, but oh. I do play her. Um, but yeah, it's the first time I've written for something that wasn't my story. Mm. It's his story, so... Yes, we'd crafted that episode together, but that was a real test, just jumping into someone else's world. Did you find that a great learning experience, though, writing for someone else? You have to put yourself in a different headspace, don't you? But it really helps your craft as a writer, I think. Really, really does. I learned so Mm. much. In In a way, it's very freeing. And in a way, it's really like the imposter syndrome is so loud because you don't want to ruin 
his vision for it. But you guys obviously knew each other really well. We know each other really, really well. But it's the first time we'd worked together on a writing level. Yeah. And essentially, he's my boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it helps that you can... Because you know each other, you feel comfortable. If you're thinking in your head, hang on a second, I don't get this. Like, can I just, can we we just talk about this bit again? You're all right to say that because you know him. Because that must have been nice. Yeah, which is nice to a certain extent, but you still don't know what the BBC are going to come back with or what the production company are going to come back with. Yeah. So um, the voices are, are quite loud before those notes come back. But yeah, they liked it. So how did you find being in writer's room? Was that your first time? A, a writer's room like that, yes. I've been in writer's rooms for kids' TV, but all on Zoom because it was all in the pandemic. So the first physical writer's room that I've been in, and it was just four of us. It was, yeah, four of us for that first crafting, and it was gorgeous. It was because that's where you've got this blank canvas mm. and all these post-its and these A4s going, okay, what could possibly happen? And it's so freeing and so... F- I, I really, really loved it. And then it's the refining down. It's amazing what you have to get rid of. It's just, but you know, series two, series two, please, series two. But um, yeah, that was my favorite bit, I think, of the whole thing, just being able to throw anything out and there's no wrong answers because we're making something from scratch. Mm. Um, yeah, and figuring out what the rules of this world are. It was nice. How was it being being in it at the same time? Do you know what? So Roscoe Five, who directed it, are amazing. There was a lot of ad-libbing. And I thought that was gorgeous because it stops you being too precious with what you've written. You've got to do with what works on the day. There was one scene that I was in with Mawan and he said, oh, just ad-lib around how excited you are to have a house with a mezzanine, a flat with a mezzanine. So I started singing a a song. Yeah. And then, so Roscoe were like, oh, that's a really good thing for Winnie. So we built it in to different episodes as well. And just that freedom to kind of find things in the character right within the filming, which is dangerous because it's not, you know, we don't film in a linear way. Um, but that was great. And then Mawan recorded a soundtrack to the series and that song is on the soundtrack, which is available on Spotify now. Oh my God. I'm yeah. Amazing. Now. Yeah. It, it's uh, crazy. So that was amazing. Being in it, I didn't feel like a writer. Yeah. But it really felt amazing when things would have to change in an episode and the producer Hannah would come to me and say Em can I have your writer's head that felt so wonderful Mm. to be just to be involved with it on that level was gorgeous sounds like a really special creative experience yeah Yeah. really lucky to have that as well I think I'm really lucky and also it's dangerous isn't it because my next one I'll be like "Mm, no one wants my ideas no can I be in it no okay fine uh, but yeah. can I, I and can I sing the theme tune? Can I sing the theme tune? <laughs> yeah. Would you mind? <laughs> yeah. So how I know you said obviously before that your experience in writers' rooms was virtual mm. for kids TV. How was that? I mean, I imagine that was completely and utterly different. Oh, I have a video that was on my Instagram stories at the time. So I had just moved into a new house about two weeks before shutdown, prime lockdown, and. I was five months pregnant, I think. And that's irrelevant, just want you to know. But uh, we didn't have Wi-Fi. Our Wi-Fi was awful and everything was on Zoom. And I've got all these guys talking in a writer's room about ideas for premises. And it was just that really tinny, you know, when people start freezing and cutting out and I couldn't hear anything. And honestly, I still feel, I still feel traumatized from that one experience. (laughs) I was like, I... If this is a writer's room, 
yeah, I couldn't get a word in when the signal was working and when it wasn't, um, it was absolute hell. I, f- I think just virtual thing, it's like when we had to audition like virtually as well. Where do you look? Where, who, who do you talk to? Like who's looking at me? Who, who's that person in the corner? I don't even know who they are. Like, yeah. It's very difficult, isn't it? There's You're such a disconnect. You're person as well, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Or at yourself because yourself is staring back at you. Because I hadn't f- figured out for ages that you could turn your own picture off. So every time I talked in an audition, I would pop up and just... Oh, ah. yeah, I hate it. That was so off-putting. But also just the people... It's bad enough if you're in a room and there's like four people in the corner on their laptops. But yeah. when they're on their laptops on Zoom, on cameras in front of you, that's it, even worse. Yeah. And they're still, they're still happening, Zoom auditions. <laughs> yeah. I haven't had as many. I just no, made tapes. But. Not as many, yeah. It's all tapes now, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, that was... Um, it wasn't a fun time. Not until we got our Wi-Fi sorted. Well, it's just as well that you're... You had such a positive experience with the other one then. Yeah, exactly. So the kids' TV ones, will you, would you go back to that now? Oh, yeah. yeah. I actually learned so much uh, writing for those as well because you've got seven minutes to write a fully concise story that has to have a meaning. So uh, an amazing exercise in just trimming the fat from everything that you're writing and usually with lots of rules and regulations and on what you can write as well. So... Although I found it quite hard and quite limiting in some ways, it was a really good learning experience. I think it really helped me as a writer. Yeah. So you're obviously doing fantastically well with your comedy career. You Um, are, Emily. How do you think the comedy industry is for for female writers today in terms of opportunities for people? Uh, Many people are writer performers these days, aren't they? Yeah. I think times are getting better. I think uh, there are more opportunities. I think we've proved that we're more than just a trend um, and a cycle. Like, oh, look, we're getting women in. Oh, look, now we're getting brown women in. And then we go back to having, you know, lots of white men. Um, I think there's room for everyone. And that is becoming more apparent. I still read a lot of scripts where women are very undeveloped. The characters are undeveloped, underwritten, undersold, and lots of scripts. I, I'm talking about recently, and I'm like, I can't talk about what I'm talking about. But I just read a script from the two main characters. There is absolutely no reason why one of those characters couldn't be female, but that just wouldn't have entered the writer's mind. It's the two males and then women, so, you know, funny women surround. Mm, mm. Um, and I still think there's a lot of. Not to just be negative, because there is a lot of positives, but it's not fun to talk about positives, is it? <laughs> There's a lot of, you are in this as a comedian, but really you are just setting up the joke for a man to get the laugh. There's a lot of that in scripts. And I feel like there is where we need to concentrate now and flex out. Right. Um, but as I think it's hard for any writer to get anything made in the times. I mean, the industry's only just reopened. Mm. So I can't really speak on what it's like to be a female writer in it because I think it's hard to get anything off the ground at all. I personally haven't experienced going, oh, I didn't get that because I'm a woman. I'm sure it's played in somewhere. And when Anna and I have written things where we feel like the only way we're going to get this made is if we talk about our ethnicity, because that's our, what's the, what is it? UPS. USP. Yeah. USP. USP. UPS is delivery service, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's, that's our side job. It's one of the same. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, IUSP. That has changed, but we're yet to have anything appear on TV or stage unless we make it ourselves. Yeah. So, yeah, and I how guess. How does that's... that make you feel? Do you feel that's, you know, unfair or do you feel it's. How does it make you feel if you um, have to use that? I just. It's always unfair, but it's. There's so many of us. I would just like to see some of us succeed and it not just be one space in the field like oh look a woman made something so therefore (laughs) that's that's the female space taken up um like with juice I don't want that to be the Asian space taken up and uh it's all unfair I've had something in development and that's been optioned and reoptioned and and I feel like it's amazing you see so much shit on tv am I so shit yeah mate Shit, shit, shit. There's so much shit on TV. You're like, how can I not get... I know this is gold. Why can this not get made? But I'm sure that is echoed. Yeah. I've listened to the podcast. I know it's echoed by lots of women um, internationally. Yeah. It's great that you've got that gig um, on Juice, isn't it? Because every time you get another gig, you're building up your credibility and there's fewer reasons to be able to say no. Yes. For people who want to employ you. I think it's one of those, the reason why I'm so kind of hesitant answering is because I think it's a time will tell. I don't know whether it's me um, just lacking my self-worth or doing myself down. I still feel very much like a newbie. I think because I'm still learning and because writing came post acting Mm. and writing the sketch show and live stuff, I've done that for ages. I am a writer of live stuff, but I hardly ever write it down. But it's from that that we got our writing work. So I'm still learning structure and and character and, you know, backstory. I'm still learning A plot, B plot, C plot, all this kind of stuff. Um, So I'm hoping it's a time will tell situation. Mm. Mm. But I think to have had the feeling that you had when you were in that writer's room and just you were given that space and that platform and they, you know, they trusted you with what you were doing. Mm -hmm. To have had that experience should hopefully help you like boost you a lot in whatever else is to come because you know that you've done it before and you got it right and they liked what you did like that means a lot doesn't it it does mean a lot it does and sometimes it's good to remind yourself of that yeah because it's so we haven't got time for imposter syndrome really I saw something about imposter syndrome saying we should stop even saying that that's a word described to make us feel like it's a feeling that we should have yeah um so I'm trying to avoid saying it, but there's no other word to kind of describe. Yeah. When that's what I was saying earlier yourself. about being American. You know, I think we should stop apologizing, stop being just thinking about imposter syndrome and start owning that space in the room, which you really obviously did in that job you've just had. Yeah. So that's your that's your standard now, isn't it? Right. Nothing beyond that. Yes. Do you hear that world? That's yeah. my standard. <laughs> it is. That's my absolute standard. It you be. heard it here first. Like, it's her standard. Yeah. Because well, I was going to ask, like, do you think. This kind of what goes on from what you were saying. Do you think it is your talent that gets you noticed? Or do you think success is, you know, more down to contacts, etc.? Or is it a combination of both? I think it's definitely a combination of both. Mm. I think that the work that I did in stand-up comedy, uh, when I was doing more stand-up, I think it was good. People liked it. I like doing it. I remember that, coming to one of your really early shows. Yeah, that probably wasn't good. Uh, no, it was good. That's why I remember it. And um, from there, I learned to write comedy. So that's how I made my contact with Mawan came through doing comedy. Yeah. And we both had deep respect for each other's style of performance and just connected. And 
So yeah, you could say that was a contact, but then you can have the con. It's like nepotism, isn't it? You can you can have the doors opened if you're not good at the job. It's it's going to show. Yeah. So this is me trying to be more American. I'm going to say no. It is the talent, but I think contacts do help. But they are something that comes with time. And there, I remember a long time going up to Edinburgh, and people would do compilation gigs, you know, just to sell their show. And I had no idea how you would get on them. I didn't. No, I didn't know that people went up with production companies. I had no idea. And it's just, as time has gone on and I've been in it longer, you get the contacts. But yeah, if you're not going to do the work, it's not Well, yeah, it's also about like, it's like when they say if you go for an audition as well, it's partly if you can do it, but also are you a nice person? Do they want you in the room? Do they want you around on that set? Yeah. It's to do with that. Which might explain the jobs that I haven't got. (laughs) Jobs we all haven't got. (laughs) (laughs) she's a difficult woman (laughs) you've said that you had that warm welcoming experience on the show that you did uh, recently but have you always felt that throughout your career that comedy's been a warm and welcoming place for you no absolutely not comedy's a disgusting industry it really especially live comedy absolute hell it's lonely it's very male oriented and I remember going to what I found. Uh, I'll just focus on stand up. As is that okay? Yes, yes of course. Not yeah. meant to be okay. So I would go to gigs, especially when I was new, mm-hmm. and there was only at the time it was usually only one woman on a lineup. So when you go on stage, not only are you the new one, you represent your whole gender. So if you have a bad night, they go away with that validation, with that ingrained bias the girl was a bit shit. So that, I could never get over that terror. Mm. Also, the other comedians wouldn't really talk to me when I got there. Quite often, they wouldn't talk to me when I got there. I'd do a set, it'd go well, suddenly they want to talk to me. So it felt very fake, very disingenuous. I know some amazing comedians and they work so, so hard at it. Male and female, like really, really have worked so hard and done so well. But that side of the industry, on my skin just was not thick enough for it. I didn't like it. Um, Why well, don't you carry on? Well, I don't do that much stand-up. I found no. Anna. I found improv. Ah, right. um, where you just do what comes into your head. And that is generally funny because people can see it's nonsense. And sketch. So we share it. It's more planned. I love uh, emceeing, I love hosting a night because audience are generally just, you know, batshit crazy and they're funnier than anything you could come up with. Um, in I'm trying to think about in performance, when you are acting in a comedy, nothing can meet, make you feel less funny because no one's allowed to laugh on set. Mm. So you question absolutely, in the rehearsal, you go, <laughs> right, let's do a crew show. And then you do it again and no one laughs and you think, I've done everything wrong. I'm not funny. I'm not funny at all. I've missed every beat. I didn't do that. Oh no, I'm just thinking, oh no, the camera's on me and now I'm just thinking all these thoughts. Um, and that that was the start of my career. Right. That was the start of it. I'm not coming across very American, am I? Well, you know, we're, we're all on a journey towards she being American. British. She's coming across very <laughs> real, on our very real. Journey. Well, you know, is it is it you or is it the comedy industry? This is, I mean, what you've described is something that we've heard described a lot, isn't it, by well, other yeah, women? You know, it's the start the, of your it, stand-up career was not welcoming. Yeah, or, or that's no, that's or, not you. That's that's, that's what the world the has been yeah. like, and we hear it's getting better for female stand-ups. There's definitely when not I more have of them done it. Yeah, I've done gigs and it's not just I mean I've been pulled off a gig before because they already had a 
um, an Asian female on the lineup. No, I don't want to. I was like, but I don't so talk. Bad. I I don't I don't even talk in that at that particular time. And I was like, so you just assume that we would talk about the same things. Also, so what if we do? It's just two different what takes did they, what on did life. They actually, say though, uh, would you like to do the one in September? We because already have an Asian female on the lineup. And I hope they pulled off those two white men who were on the bell. Mm, yeah. You can't see my raised you eyebrows. You can't really have two of those, jaw. can you? No, because no, they might talk about the same thing. So, yeah, that was just just a, a world of bullshit. Yeah. I really didn't like that. But I do think it, that has changed a lot for the better. Hooray. Yeah. Yeah, sure. we have some real comedy nerds who listen to our podcast, and I was just thinking when you were talking about sketch writing, just how brilliant sketch writing is to train you as a writer. I mean, I started mm. writing sketches, and I've always thought it's a brilliant way to start, isn't it? Mm. So, to talk us through how would you go about writing a great sketch? What do you need for a great sketch? Oh wow! Well, I don't know if you, if anyone listening has seen my show, they'd be like, she doesn't know what a great sketch is. She got some <laughs> good ones, but they're not great. Um, I think my favourite personally are observational, oh, we all do that kind of sketches. They're my favourite. I don't know what the ingredients are to writing those. Have a double act like Anna that can pull them out of your brain. Is that a, is that, everyone get yourself an Anna. My favourite of one of our, in fact, it's one that went on the Harry Hill one. It's about us going to the toilet at the same time. It's set to music, there's no words. We both sit down in a toilet cubicle. I've got no toilet roll. She's got loads. She has a wee. I have a number two. And Emily, number two. <laughs> Set to see as titanium. And um, she kind of goes into this dream world where she's luxuriating in all this toilet roll. And I'm trying to wipe myself with like a... I've still got my clothes on, guys. <laughs> It's family TV, okay. but with like the corner of a tube of like something that I found on the floor. Um, and for me, I'm like, yep, when you question what girls do in toilet cubicles or what that person next to you is doing, or when you find out you've got no toilet roll, joy, absolute joy. So for me, it's those, I like a good reveal sketch where you get clues, 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 and then a reveal, you get ah, that kind of thing. Me and Anna kind of draw it as some eyes looking back. So you see it. See the idea and then pull the rug. I like a good rug pull. Pull back and reveal. Yeah. Yeah. Pull back Classic. and reveal. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's as far as I go with the ingredients. Our process is mainly through improvisation. Right. So you guys act it out between you in order to, to get it. You improvise it we and go, then write it down. This is this is funny. Or this a lot of us come from character. I wouldn't say that we were character comedians, but the two um in our last show, Richard Pictures, the two favorite characters from the audience that we had to keep bringing back were two mediums called Vivanda and Luanda. And it just came from a, a lady at a, a shopping till that I'd met once and I talked to Anna about it. And then in this show, we play two young German schoolboys, which just came from a guy that said to Anna that his he played in a band back at home in Germany and the band's name translated to, translated to Big big Tits Potato Salad. <laughs> big Tits Potato Salad. And so from there, we were like, Big Tits Potato Salad. And we made these young boys and they are our favourite boys. So actually, we could take them anywhere. Yeah. So that's It's not the sketch, it's the character that's just really fun, if that makes any sense. 
Um, in terms of the future, mm. do you have like an idea of what you want to focus on in terms of writing or acting or do you have any particular goals job-wise or anything like that? I would love, uh, acting-wise, I'd love to be in a really hot shit drama. I'd really, really like that. Something serious. doesn't have to run forever, mm-hmm. but just kind of the new Dr. Foster Got it. Avec me as the doctor. Main role, yeah. You know, that kind of really hard-hitting... Were you in that? No, uh, oh, gosh, yeah. Yes, I was as a receptionist. Yeah. I don't want to play the receptionist. Sorry, I, no, that was my one of my first jobs ever. I remember it. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I've forgotten. Um, but I loved that. When I watched that, I absolutely loved it. Something like Catastrophe, writing something like that. I've had an idea for a show that is just kind of stuck in tiny, tiny fragments in my brain. If I could get that out onto paper I think I'd like that to be created I would like to have written a series I don't need to be in it but uh you know a critically acclaimed series is that too much to ask that makes it to tv only one just yeah just one (laughs) I'm happy with just one um probably only got the energy for just one um so you've got the idea it just needs to come out yeah it's I do you know what it it is in there and I have confidence it's it's there just need the time space and get on not the toilet to and get it out that's the only place that we get privacy isn't it it is has mums you so. talked a lot about your partner anna does she yes. act as well not romantic partner not, not romantic, romantic. Well, not rom- well, well. well. <laughs> no does she i mean is she also an actress and if you had this amazing series idea would you both be in it would no you? she could fuck off um, she's said enough. <laughs> Anna's done enough. She's done enough. Um, yeah, I mean, she's a really good actress. I'd love her in anything. Uh, to be honest, when I picture this, I haven't pictured the characters or who'd be in it or if I'd be in it or she'd be in it at all. No one knows who Anna is because we've just called her Anna. For Anna Leong Brophy is Thank one you. half of Double Act Egg. <laughs> She it's was also, the mysterious Anna for most of this. Podcast. Yeah, now we know. No, she's uh, she's doing great and. Yeah, it'd be a joy to have her in anything because she's amazing. And she is the other half of my brain. To be honest, I probably won't be able to write it without her there in some capacity. So she'll have to be involved in some way. Well, I was wondering about like a double act sketch show or something, you know, because we haven't had anything like French and Saunders for a long time, have we? In no, terms there of won't email. Be ex- no sketch anymore. No sketches, are there? There's Those no are like the best, you know, like Smack the Pony. Yeah, just... it's kind of making a comeback. America's always been great at sketch. America and Canada, great. They've kept sketch going, I think, because they've kept things like SNL going. And they've got a big love of sketch. And, you know, you've got Smack the Pony here. Yeah, you have Big Train, amazing. We had but French that's back disorders. in the 90s back now. Back in the 90s. But we yeah. had um, what, Ellie and Natasha. What, Ellie and Natasha, yeah. they're yeah. so good, aren't they? What's their sketch I called? Can't remember. I think probably Ellie and Tash. And uh, Lazy Susan had theirs yeah. as well. But I'm sorry, they deserved way more budget. And way more, they've been around for absolutely ages. Mm. And they're so funny. They just deserve more than they get. They mm. really, really do. And uh, I was in a, a pilot called Red Flag, written by Kyle smith now. And it was brilliant. And it didn't get picked up. And that's not just me being like, I was in it. And it was it was great. He's got a brilliant mind. He's really popular. He's in Ghosts. He's in Stathlet's Flats. He's like, and that didn't get picked up. There's just no budget or trust for sketch. And I think for sketch to look good, it does need a bigger budget. Yeah. 
because there's only so far and so far into a world we can go with fake wigs and cheap locations and, you know, the office that we can rent for free. And they are expensive sketches, aren't they? Because a lot of the writing that it's paid for doesn't get used. Mm -hmm. So I suppose they do end up being quite expensive compared to... Yeah, but there's a but reason you know they what? work. It's, it's worth the money. Look at the amount of shit that's made. Yeah, so much shit. But I'll just put it out there. I don't want a sketch show. Don't want one. I've don't never had any interest in having my own sketch show. Commissioners, do not listen to this. I'm uh. sure. I'm pretty sure <laughs> if you offered her a sketch show, she'd go, yes, please. Nope, I wouldn't. No, no. I can't I'd love to this. be in one. Right. I'd love to be in one. Love to be in one. I'd love to you know, write, maybe write with... The people, I would not want my own in charge of that. I, my just brain because... just doesn't work in those short comic scenes. My brain definitely lends itself more to a narrative, uh, a longer narrative. So you don't want to make a show? Absolutely not. I want to make a show. I'd love to be in a show, involved in a show. But not I, a sketch show. I would not like to hold the reins and control Got it. of a sketch show. Got it. it. It would not be good. Okay. But happy <laughs> to be in the writer's room occasionally. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Great. I've kind of gone in, like, gazing into the middle distance of, like, how horrifying it would be. And for some reason, that would be my nightmare. <laughs> Is it the responsibility? Is it because you think you wouldn't want it all on you and your partner to carry the show? Or is it more no, than that? No, it's, it's more that they require such different areas of your brain. You, that If you follow the same formula for sketch all the time, it's not going to be consistently funny people need surprising people don't want to be like okay yeah they say that they say that there's a record there's so many different formulas I think it's such an amazing skill set and I love doing it live we're very careful not to put sketches like that too close to each other or that say the same thing or kind of subvert some kind of subject and you know I just think maybe there's just a bigger responsibility I'd feel a bigger responsibility um, which I'm just not prepared to take on at this time. Please feel free to put this podcast out when I've been signed uh, a sketch, <laughs> a sketch show. <laughs> take it gratefully. Yeah, because the commissioners are, are sitting at home now, going, "Right, that's what she doesn't want. Right, just to teach her a lesson, we're going to give her." Oh, one. in that case, I don't want a part <laughs> in something like the White Lotus. I don't. You want... do want Doctor Foster, though. I do, I do, yeah. but don't only if reverse psychology is not working here. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. And just to clarify what you do want as a writer. What I do want as a writer. Yeah, that's probably important. Yes. What I would love as a writer is, um, yeah, actually the same thing as that I'd like to perform in, but I would love to write something that made people, uh, that stood alone, that stood out, that made people really laugh until they cried and really cry. Do you know what I thought was so beautiful? Do you remember? Oh my God, it's going to... I was in it, all right, but only, again, one episode. Oh, here we go. Flowers. Do you remember Flowers? Oh, mm. I thought that was amazing. Mm. That busted all genre. It started as a comedy. It got darker and darker. And Will Genius Sharp wrote himself in as this small character who just by the end had, had, had us all in tears. And it was so moving and so funny and so poignant. And I just thought, that, I want to write like that. Mm. And that's where I'm working towards. So you want comedy that really moves people as well. It can do everything, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll put that on the list. Noted. Mm. Hmm. Now, it. you, of course, are a member of the Female Pilot Club for Life. Congratulations. 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 Salute you, salute yes. you all. <laughs> yeah. But um, 
Would you like to nominate another woman to be in the Female Pilot Club? Yeah, so it can be a writer, producer, performer or stand-up from the history of comedy whose only crime was a lumpy jumper. Oh, my gosh. We're very exclusive. We don't let just anyone in. No, okay, no, no, no. we so let literally everyone in. Can you tell in. me the terms again? Everyone in. Okay. Tell me the terms. Sure. So, writer, yeah. producer, mm-hmm. performer or a stand-up. Okay. I would like to... Well, it feels weird if I don't say Anna now, isn't it? If you're very torn, you can have two. We will let. We will just say that Anna has. Anna comes. She's with an me. honorary member with you. She's yeah. coming with you. She's yes. So now you've brain. got another yeah. choice. So she has to be in there. Oh, so I get another choice. Yeah. Okay. Yes, please. Could I bring into this club, Hannah Mulder? Hannah Mulder is. Uh, do you know her? Yes. Do you? Is she already in the club? No, I don't. No. Think so, no. Oh, do you like her? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> indeed, we good. do. Good. She is a producer on Juice, and probably a reason why I, I'm, I'm in there. There's the contacts, but has always championed me since I did that first Funny Women competition, and has been the kind of the voice that you've been tonight. Emily, like, no, that's the reason. No, it's the industry. Um, she fights to get everybody that isn't heard heard. She works her absolute ass off and she has even though she wouldn't count herself as a writer she has story and narrative built into her bones and I really really rate her that's a fantastic nomination well Hannah Mulder congratulations you are now in the female pilot club Yay! well that sound means it's time for us to pull off our helmets wriggle into our civvies and prepare to jump down on the runway But we'll be back to take another female pilot up to the giddy heights of comedy heaven where all is comfort and boy. Joy, Kay. You mean joy. I know what I mean, Emily. Goodbye from Female Pilot Club. Thank you so much to our guest, Emily Lloyd-Saney. Also known as Emily Number Two. Thank you. (laughs) And goodbye from Emily Number One. And goodbye from me. Why not follow us at Female Pilot Club on Twitter and Insta? The podcast was created and produced by Kay Stonham and Emily Chase. It was edited and technically produced by Adam Bromley, with music composed by Tim Sutton. If you enjoyed the show, please do like, subscribe, share and review. Until next time, up, up and away! Female Pilot Club